0: the time for transformation is now. I believe with all my heart, the time for transformation is now. On July 3rd, we read in the Boston Globe that a pastor from a large church in Boston had resigned because he had been arrested for a Peeping Tom incident. He had seen his neighbors in various uh, phases of undress and... um, the neighbors reported that this wasn't the first time. Now, I'm not here to point any fingers. I am aware of my own, uh, actually, as, as Joanne and Dick can tell you, my own journey of, of um, recovery from sexual addiction. But my point in bringing up this incident is that his problem, this pastor's problem, is our problem. The church, too often, looks too much like the world. We all have our areas of immaturity, of lack of um, healing and deliverance, and uh, it is hindering us. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He's a fiery preacher from the 1800s in England. He says this. He says, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. More recently... The pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, his name is Erwin Lutzer, he says this. Sadly, the influence has been in the wrong direction as we see evidence that our culture has begun to permeate our churches. The church is seduced by social agenda of wealth and pleasure and has condoned sinful compromises. There's moral decay within the church, highly publicized scandals involving ministers. Lord have mercy and divorce statistics which are not much better than those outside the church. Think of all that we and our churches would have to repent of if a spirit of holiness began to captivate us. How can America be influenced by an inconsistent and hypocritical church? Ooh. Let's just all have an ooh moment. Ooh. Okay? (laughs) Not mocking. But maybe we can take some solace in the fact that this isn't a new situation. 2,000 years ago, writing from a prison cell, about 62 AD, Paul penned the following words, and he was writing to the church that he had planted in Ephesus. And also, he was writing to other churches in the region. And uh, it was about four years after he had left Ephesus, and he penned these words. And these are words that just nailed me on my summer vacation just a few weeks ago. From Ephesians 4.17, right in the middle of that letter, he says this. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In this case, Gentiles kind of meaning nations, meaning the world, right? We're believers. We're, we're called out. We don't just become monks, but we're called to live differently. We're called to live holy. We're called to live in humility. And Paul says, hey, you can't live as the Gentiles do. And Then he gives us the great key to this, in the futility of their thinking. There's something in our thinking. Church, if we look too much like the world, it's because there's something not quite right in our thinking. And as he's about to say, also in our hearts. Let's see what he says in 18 and 19. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And that's the path that you and I were on. We got interrupted by the gospel. And what Paul is saying is here, Hey, let that interruption be complete. Please don't continue in the thinking that the world walks in. But let us be transformed. And I believe that the key to our transformation here, that the key to (laughs) our hearts not being hard, is that how we think about ourselves needs to change first. It's not by accident that this very letter starts with that very thing. What. Do we believe about ourselves? What is true about us according to God? And that's what we need to start with in our foundation today on being transformed. A transformed life begins with transformed thinking about ourselves, especially in our relationship to God. Amen? (laughs) I just want to say it again because it's so good. A transformed life begins with transformed thinking about ourselves. Praise God. Amen. Let's look at this together then. Ephesians 1. Start with me there. And we're saying, Lord, please transform me. I am, and I just want to say, this is, I'm sitting right there, okay? I'm sitting right here next to Josh and Beth and Carissa. I'm preaching at me right now, which is, I need to be transformed. And as I mentioned, I was just sitting on the deck of my grandmother's condo in northwestern suburban Detroit, Oakland County, reading Ephesians uh, just um, devotionally. And boom, I read this, and I thought, oh, God, this is the deal, isn't it? It's the deal with me. It's the deal with my friends. We still think too much like the world. We need to be transformed in our thinking. Okay, we'll start here with one and two, and we'll get into the meat here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Remember, 62 AD, he's writing this in the prison cell. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I love how even out the gate, Paul is honoring their faith because they were enduring some persecution in Ephesus. He says, you guys are being faithful. And he says, grace and peace to you. Grace, unmerited favor from God. Grace, the power to do His will. And peace that passes understanding that even in the midst of terrible circumstances, we can have peace. Now, The next 9, sorry, 11 verses have been compared to many things. They've been compared to a snowball going down a mountain that just increases in size and speed. They've been compared to a symphony, a symphonic overture, where you get all the pieces of what's going to come, and and, and you get them right there at the beginning. They've been compared uh, to uh, also (laughs) a racehorse. Actually, it's kind of, anyway. They've been compared to a racehorse because Paul just gets out the gate. When I think of the next few verses, I just think of fireworks because Paul is at the edge of language in the sense that language doesn't have the capacity to explain what he's feeling right here. So let's, let's experience this together. He starts out in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Praise be To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me just read a few more verses to get us rolling, and then I'll come back. For he chose us in him, verse 4 says, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And the reason we're not breathing is because in Greek it's all one sentence. And actually the next four verses are also all part of one big sentence. God, transform my thinking about me. What do we learn in this about me in relationship to God? Verse 3, praise be. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pause right there. The first two words, praise be. This could be a long Sunday, couldn't it? (laughs) Praise be. The thing that I want to say is, it's that in the context, Paul is just worshiping the Lord. And it's in the context of worshiping the Lord that we get this incredible download in our identity. That speaks to me. Do you know why that speaks to me? Because when I'm in worship and it's corporate, or when I'm in worship and it's just individual and I'm seeking the Lord, God speaks to me about who I am. And that's more real than what I'm going to experience the rest of that day. Because don't you know that all day long I'm getting lied to, you're getting lied to about who you are, who you're not, right? That happens all day long. So what I learned from this, even Paul just saying, praise be in the context of worship, we're getting all this identity truth. That reminds me that when God speaks to me in worship settings, when God speaks to me in my personal devotional life, I can bank on it. It's more true than the other stuff. Do you know what I mean? Let me just give you an example. The other day, actually, it was was last Saturday, Saturday, August 31st. You know, I I taught school for five years, and uh, even, even at the beginning of every... Uh, every year in high school, I'd get the butterflies. Ooh, new class, new students. What's going to happen? Well, guess what? Sometimes when I preach, I still get the butterflies. Last Saturday, I had some butterflies. I Said God, "What do you have to say about this? Speak to me about church tomorrow. Speak to me about church on September 1st." And this is what He spoke to me. He said, "Son, I'm giving you a mouth of gold." That's pretty encouraging. And by the way, I'm writing this down because the Holy Spirit lives in me, okay? And the Bible says that, 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he who's in me than he's in the world. So I can listen to the Holy Spirit and he can speak to me. Son, I'm giving you a mouth of gold. But first, I need to make your heart gold also. You must learn to truly obey me. You must learn to truly trust me. You're still trying to do too much in your own power? Lay down your strength and take up mine. I'm the God who loves you. And I'm in the middle of pouring out into you my life, my presence my joy, and my power. Well, that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? That changes things, doesn't it? See what I'm saying? In the context of worship, God speaks to us, and we take that to the bank. Because all during the rest of the day, people are lying to you about who you are, who you need to be. The culture is lying to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two other things I want to mention is that we will not be permanently transformed into having a secure identity until we're fully convinced of two things. One is we need to be convinced of the fatherhood of God. He's going to unpack this a little bit more, a little bit later. But we need to be convinced of the fatherhood of God. You belong to the father. And you need to be convinced that he is benevolent and nurturing. He is for you. He's not against you. And this concept of God as a father, some of us who've been walking with the Lord for years, we get too ho-hum about it. But let me, excuse me, let me tell you. (laughs) Sorry. Wow. There's like, it feels like there's a hair the size of Africa inside my throat right now. Excuse me. Wow. That was bizarre. So, let me explain it this way. I remember with great vividness a few years ago being in Morocco with our team and just walking down the street. Actually, uh, (laughs) we had a Muslim guy who was (laughs) bringing us to a hammam. If you know what a hammam is, that's that cool kind of Turkish bath thing where it's just like a massive... It's like sauna on steroids. It's it's just a lot of fun. feels good. So we're walking around the city we were in and I was asking this brother, let's call him Mohammed. I was asking him, hey man, so how does this work with you? How does... How does the whole God thing work? And he says, well, you know, at the end of my life, I'll just kind of weigh the good and the bad. And then hopefully I'll have done a few more good things. Uh, and that's how I'll know if I'm, if I'm into heaven with Allah. And I said, wow, you know, that's going to be a little bit difficult for you because you don't really know, do you? <laughs> and he's like, no. And the other thing is I've kind of front-loaded my life with a lot of bad, you know. He's a young man. He's drinking. He's fooling around with girls. He's doing all the things that a good Muslim should not do. But he freely admitted so basically, I know that kind of in the years ahead, I'm going to have to balance this thing out some good. And I just thought, man, the God of Israel, the God, the Father of our Lord, of Jesus Christ, and our Father by adoption—we just are in a different world, aren't we? And I'm so glad I've got a Father with whom I have a relationship. He speaks to me, and I don't have to wait to the very end to know how things are going to turn out for eternity. That's very different. It's very different. From the gods that the Hindus serve, okay? The Hindus, plethora of gods, and just like kind of an old mythology, it's all about appeasing these gods and always in fear and trembling. Now, do we need fear of God? We sure do. We sure do need the healthy respect and the fear of the Lord. But the foundation is, is that he's our father. He loves us. He nurtures. He cares. I mean, the scripture is full of this. But if we don't have that first, then we don't really grow in our identity with the Lord. The second thing that we need is we just need to affirm the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Without the Lordship of Jesus, we, we don't grow in this identity. We have a master who died for us. Mark Speeder, a friend of ours who's about to plant a sister church of ours in Anaheim, he just t- tweeted this the other day. He said, the fully surrendered Christian is the most happy restful, and fruitful. Yeah, I think I'll say that again. The fully surrendered Christian, because by contrast, I'll just say the most miserable Christian is one foot in the world, one foot in Jesus, and you're always kind of going back and forth about who you're going to serve. But like Mark says, the fully surrendered Christian is the most happy, restful, and fruitful. See, we, and we're always trying to make our identity, aren't we? Just think of just how we're always reacting to people and kind of, Whatnot. We're always trying to make a place for ourselves. We always are trying to just present or our kind of come into our own and come into identity. But man, if we bow down to Jesus and receive the identity he's wanting to give us, it's powerful. And it's kind of one of those kingdom paradoxes. He said it this way in Mark 8. Actually, after, his, uh, after predicting his own death to bewildered disciples, he said, But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What I just want to articulate today is we bow down to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that position is where we are the most able to receive the identity that he wants to give us. It's where we're most able to get transformed in our thinking. Okay, let's keep going. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. He has blessed you in the heavenly realms. Now, let's, let's get out of the religious gobbledygook here. What in the world does that mean? Well, to use an analogy from a 1999 film, it means that you can unplug from the matrix, okay? <laughs> this world is not as real as the one that we are going to, okay? You are blessed in the heavenly realms. You can unplug from the matrix. You don't have to be only subject to the things going on by your five senses, okay? Because just think about it. What does the world have to rely on for their identity, I meaning the people of the world, people who don't have this hope in Christ? They rely on their financial status, right? Bless you. They rely on their uh, job success. They rely on how many followers they have on Twitter. You know, they rely on what kind of feedback they're getting on Facebook. They have to rely on all these things. But you and I, we unplug from that matrix, and we have access to the heavenly realms. You are resourced, okay? You are not not resourced. As a believer, you are sitting with Jesus in the throne room of heaven. That's what the Bible says. One of my favorite books to read to my son and my daughter, <laughs> Just her comprehension is still growing as a almost two-year-old. It's a story about Colton Burpo. Ten years ago, he was three years old. His appendix burst and was taken to the hospital. And in that time, of course, there, he blacked out. But according to him, he went to heaven. He visited with Jesus. And he was able to articulate what he saw. And that's, that, that account, you know, It's up to you to decide what you think about it. But according to that account, he was, you know, he saw the throne room of God. And he said, God had this massive throne. Then Jesus was at his right hand, a little smaller throne. He knew the Holy Spirit was there. And I just thought, this kid is marked for life. He has seen the throne room of God. You know what? We get to see it too, don't we? We read Revelation I mean, God's given us the Book of Revelations that we could have that same access that He kind of gave in a special way to Colton Burpo. It sounds like that He gave to the Apostle Paul. He's given a few people over the history of of Earth some access to that throne room. But man, that's where you live. That's where you dwell. That is where you dwell. You are not alone. You are not uh, unresourced. You you have a diff- you have access to. To something else, it's powerful. So, man, he's blessed us in the heavenly realms. We live there, <laughs> and he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Again, I want to take away the stained glass, take away the candles. You know, if I was if I was reading this, uh, I would you know just in kind of my natural. I'd say, okay, he's blessed us in every heaven, uh, spiritual blessing, in Christ. Like it just it just it's. It is like, uh, it's not clear to me. It's it's very unclear what's happening here. But I, I love what some commentators have said. And they say this, that he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing, that means every blessing of the Holy Spirit. And let's remember from John 14... Let's remember from John 16, let's remember from the book of Acts, what has the Holy Spirit come to do? How is he here to help you? Well, according to what Jesus said before he left, he said, the Holy Spirit is your counselor. Who needs a counselor here, right? What do I do with my job? How do I get along in this relationship? What do I do with this feeling I have? The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one who walks alongside you. That's a spiritual blessing, I'd say, isn't it? And then partly Paul's making a contrast to material blessings. You know, it's understood in the Jewish world that if you're blessed by God, you'd have more cattle and sheep and more children, and uh, you'd have some more leadership influence and things like that. And Paul's saying, hey, although those those blessings are good, (laughs) the blessings that we have in Christ, they're spiritual, and they're the the blessings the Holy Spirit gives. What else did the Holy Spirit come to do? He came to give the spirit of truth. In other words, you can discern truth versus error, Okay. You are able to discern truth versus error. He will remind us of what Jesus said. Okay, that means as you read the Bible, Holy Spirit's going to remind you of what's in there. He'll guide us into truth. He'll share from Jesus. The Holy Spirit shares from Jesus and gives to us. And he lives with us and in us. We're not orphaned. And also he convicts us of sin, right? He tells us where we need to be transformed. Speaking of transformation, he tells us where. And in the book of Acts, we see that he gives us supernatural power to do the work of God. You are resourced. How many times do you think, I can't do that? I don't have what it takes. That's not going to work. But here's Paul and the Spirit of God speaking through Paul saying, hey, we need a transformation in your thinking. You're not not resourced. You are very resourced, okay? No matter what issue is going on with your family, the situation at job, your finances, relationships, it just... Your resource. You've got the Holy Spirit. He can counsel you. Amen? Wow. I think we're just going to do one more. This is good. Let's just do one more. Verse 4. That's, that's, this, one's, this one's not controversial. <clears throat> Sorry. That's, that's a joke. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 4. <clears throat> right? A transformed life begins with a transformation in how we think about ourselves. So far we've learned that it's in worship that we can receive from the Lord. So far, we've learned that having God as our Father and Jesus as our Lord, that those are the best uh, environments for us to be transformed. We've learned that we have, we have access to the heavenly realms, and we've learned that um, we have every spiritual blessing. We have all the blessings of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. Ooh, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy in His sight. Oh, man, let it speak to you today. (coughs) Let that hit you. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy in his sight. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy in his sight. You are not an accident. You are not an afterthought. You're not random. You're not a mistake. But God chose you before the creation of the world. So my thoughts about who I am, my, this, transformation, this transformation of thinking and who I am, the good news is it's very solid because it's not based on how I do or what I do, but it's totally based on this overwhelmingly incomprehensible fact that God chose me even before the world was created. Now, yes, you're sitting there and you said, but I chose God. I mean, I'm the one who responded. I came up to the altar. I asked Jesus into my heart. Of course you did. But as John Stott says, great, great, or said, a great uh, British pastor and theologian, he said, you know, you did choose Jesus, but it's only because God first chose you. Now, there's no doubt that this whole idea of election is a mystery with which we must wrestle and grapple with. There's no doubt. But I would also agree with Stott. He says, hey, there's a few things that we're sure about when it comes to this mystery of election. The first thing is that it was not created by Calvin, right? He didn't make it up, right? It wasn't created by St. Augustine in North Africa. It wasn't created by these guys. But as you read the scripture, you can't help but come against the reality that there's something of this sovereignty and election of God involved. The other things he notes are, but such truth doesn't give us an excuse to sin, but rather it's an incentive for increasing holiness. Is it not? When I just go, oh, Lord, my, you know, like Thomas, right? My Lord and my God. The, 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 the disciple Thomas, and seeing the, 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 the nail prints of Jesus in his saying, said, oh, my Lord and my God. It's the same kind of thing. And in and, and, and thinking about the fact that God has chosen me, you just say, my Lord and my God. And the incentive is holiness. Lord, let me be more obedient. Let me love you more. And, and similarly, he says, the result of such an idea should increase our humility and not be a source of pride. Right? We, again, we say, Lord, uh, <laughs> my Lord and my God. This is amazing. He chose us in him. Another thing I want to note is just note these three pronouns. He chose us in him. He, God the Father, chose us in him, in Christ. The other thing that I get great comfort from is the fact that before the creation of the world, God wanted to make sure that us and the Son got together. He knew that we would need him. And so it's with great pleasure that God said, Hey, people that I'm creating, hey, Jesus, my son, you guys are going to do good together. You need each other. He chose us in him. And what did he choose us for? And man, some of us need this encouragement today. He chose us to be holy in his sight. Okay? As we've said, Paul said in 417, Hey, you guys, Houston, we have a problem. The problem is you guys are thinking like the world. But here, Paul is saying, your destiny, though, is Holiness. Your destiny is not to think like the world. You're not going to be stuck in thinking like the world forever. There is grace for you to be holy. He affirms that our end goal is holiness. And he is transforming us. Too often we think, ah, I'll never get there. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be jealous. I'm always going to be mad. I'm always going to be burning with lust. I'm always going to be undisciplined. But God says, I am making you holy. Holy. And I love what Mark Galley said. Mark Galley is an editor of Christianity Today. He said this, it's like we have won the lottery, the ticket, we have the ticket in hand, and it's just a matter of time before we get to cash this thing in. It's that now and not yet tension that we live in the kingdom. But man, I'll just tell you, knowing that I'm destined for holiness, that helps me. Right? Knowing that I'm destined to be blameless, that I am blameless before Christ, that helps me in my own wrestling's. Because I know that's where I'm headed. And I want to cooperate with God more than ever. I don't want to go fighting the rest of my days. But I want to go cooperating more and more. Amen? Amen. Well, man, I was going to go to verse 11 today. (laughs) But it's just getting too rich. And and we need to transition. Transformation. The transformation that we long for. Our ability to not be like the world starts with transforming how we think about ourselves. So I want to invite you to do two things. I'll have the worship team come on up now. The first thing is, somewhere in those verses, maybe it's something that we didn't even get to today. So we didn't get to, man, there's redemption, there's forgiveness, there's there's, um, uh, all sorts of good stuff in there. There's something in there that we need to meditate on regularly this week. So as you look over Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, you say, which one of these truths do I need to most hold on to this week? Which one of these items do I need most so that I can be transformed from the inside out? Would you do that this week? You can look at your blue sheet there. And (coughs) yeah, I'm getting tarped over here. And um, would you do yourself a favor and say, Lord, how do I need to be transformed here? The second thing is, as you noted, as we... Okay, I'm just going to jump on. Maybe I'll go up here. Make my ego, I'll be up here. Okay. So, you noted in the video, right? As we get transformed in our thinking, the life of Christ splashes on us. The color of God, it changes us from the black and white of our existence. In our response time, we just want to invite you. We've got a whole series of paints here. We want to invite you up and if you want to splash a color or two on this canvas we have coming up, that's just your way of saying, God, light me up. God, I want to I want to believe the truth about who I am in you. God, I want you to transform me. Amen? Okay, why don't you guys stand?